Hello and welcome to another episode of the What Type Ones Eat podcast. I am so excited to have you here because today we have an amazing guest. But just to remind you, and if you're new, the What Type Ones Eat podcast is all about what type ones eat, how they manage what they eat, and what they actually choose to eat to um, live their life to the full. And that is part of what we talk about with Vanessa. She is an online fitness coach as well as a behavior analyst, which I find super interesting. And she has so much knowledge and a lot of very interesting points to share. Um, If you haven't recognized Vanessa yet, she is um, the diabetic health coach on Instagram. I am sure now you know who she is. Um, Just before we hop into this episode, I want to remind you, as always, that nothing on this podcast is intended as medical or nutritional advice and that you should always consult your medical team before making any changes to your diabetes plan. And now... I want to introduce to you the amazing Vanessa. I love her and enjoy the show. Hi, Vanessa. Good afternoon to you. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad myself. Thanks. Um, I am so delighted to have you on What Type Ones Eat because you're uh, an amazing person uh, in the Type 1 community and you do so much amazing work and I'm super excited to have a chat with you. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, just to start, um, can you give us a small introduction as to what you do, who you are, and why you're so important to this community? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Vanessa. I've had type 1 diabetes since the age of three. I am a Freestyle Libra ambassador. And I am. I also go under the name The Diabetic Health Coach as I am a personal trainer, online coach, and also a behavior analyst, uh, working with those with type 1 diabetes like myself to improve their healthy habits, healthy behaviors, helping my clients work towards their health and fitness related goals, and also to provide support with diabetes. Because as we all know, it's not easy. And sometimes we just need what I like to call a little fairy godmother on our shoulders to give us, you know, in, to help us in the right direction. Yeah, that's very true. And I'm also very grateful to you because you've given me a lot of advice in terms of like what qualifications to go and get, which qualifications are not necessary. So I just wanted to plug that in and say a massive thank you for that. Um I want to ask you about your personal story. Like, how were you diagnosed? How did your diabetes sort of unravel for you throughout your life? And yeah, just tell me a little bit about type one. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I always remember when I was diagnosed, and I know I was quite young, but I remember being really, really thirsty to the point where my mum had to pour me pints and pints of water and I'd be drinking one after the other. I just couldn't clench my first. And my mum said that I just looked tired. I looked really, she said I looked poorly. Um, so she took me to the doctor, my mum and my dad took me to the doctors and I'll always remember being in the doctor's room because I, I can all, I can just envision it now seeing a, an Aladdin poster on the wall 
<laughs> it was, and uh, I, I don't know that it just always remind it always reminds me that of when I was diagnosed, and that was when they told my mum and dad that I had type one diabetes, and I always remember my mum getting really upset and my dad as well, and they took me to hospital, and I was in hospital for a week, and during that time. It probably, I remember getting my first insulin injection because it probably took about three nurses to hold me down. Oh God. How old were you, poor thing? Uh, three. Yeah. So oh, was, oh, whoa. And you still remember being super thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. It's really strange because um, people, people say like, I can't believe you can remember that far back, but I can actually remember my second birthday, which is crazy. <laughs> but they I say- feel maybe that was like just a very, um, like sharp experience for you and guess well, yeah. scary as well so that's why you remember it that's it because they usually say don't they if you've got a memory that's quite how can I, not traumatic but if it's if it's got a kind of a big place in your heart suppose you're always going to remember it I um, feel like also the sharper the feeling the more likely you're to remember it I guess absolutely yeah definitely it's a little bit of a shock to the system really yeah Um, it's unlucky though you've probably your glucose was like over the top yeah it was really I can't remember what level it was but it was pretty high I think it was like late 20s um so yeah during that time my mum and dad had to learn absolutely everything about type 1 diabetes and if you can imagine back then you know in the 90s there wasn't social media, there wasn't the internet like there is today. So everything was in leaflets and, you know, liaising with my nurse. So it was very, it was very overwhelming for them. Um, Definitely. And then you're also a toddler, you're three years old. It's hard to do it nowadays. I cannot imagine how it was back then. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I, I always have to thank my mum and dad because they literally did everything for me as a child um they were like my pancreas um, <laughs> I remember my mum she wrote letters to all the neighbours and she wrote on this little note Vanessa's been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes please do not give her any sweets or chocolate without my consent um, and she posted them through Aww. the letter boxes um and then Oh yeah, my mum was my mum was amazing. She used to weigh out all of my carbohydrates. She used to check my glucose levels. She used to, you know, just be on the ball with absolutely everything. She used to when I was playing outside with my friends, like she'd have to like watch just to make sure that I wasn't going low. Because yeah. she could literally tell, she could tell whenever my glucose levels were dropping. Um I feel so, you can tell that, especially with toddlers, because they're usually like, especially if you're playing, you're like super active and then you sort of start drafting away, drifting away. Um, and you can sort of tell like the kids going a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of the, the way that she explained it was, I just looked quite te- like, how can I put it? Um, disorientated. Yeah. Pale. That's how she could always tell. Um, I mean, so, yeah. I look disorientated at the age of 21 when I get low I feel you will as well nowadays that's it that's it I mean I suppose your symptoms change over the years don't they I mean the symptoms that I had back when I was younger are completely different now to what they were back then and I don't know if that's just a kind of normal part of of development but 
yeah, I I used to go really pale. I used to go really lethargic and tired. Um, I wonder if that's your body also getting used to it in some way and trying to adapt by showing it through different symptoms. Maybe, maybe it's hard to say, really. Um, I mean, the my symptoms now is I I, I tend to I still get quite fatigued. Mm. but I get really hungry and I get a bit dizzy and I can just I've just got this feeling it's like a feeling that I can't really explain I know right like explaining a low to anyone is just absolutely impossible because it's just like I just go really foggy if that makes sense and that's yeah but yeah yeah go ahead (laughs) so I'm just saying it's such a strange feeling It, it is quite hard to to explain um so yeah I mean like when I was younger I I wouldn't really say that my diabetes affected my childhood as such because I just kind of got I just got used to it and like I said my mum and dad they literally did everything for me so I didn't really it didn't really affect me apart from obviously not being able to consume as many sweets and chocolates as my friends guess for the better yeah exactly I mean I like to accept it um so yeah, and then that 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 was all the way through primary school. I kind of got used to, you know, my mum and dad helping me. And then it was it was when I went to high school that everything just kind of changed because obviously I had to go from having everything done for me to then become independent with it. Because obviously my mum, like my mum, used to come into primary school to check my glucose levels because we only lived around the corner. She used to, you know always come in to do rangeland and then obviously when you hit high school it's a bit different you don't really want your your mum and dad there all the time so I had to gain that independence and that's yeah I was I gonna ask what age did you take over the care so that was around like 13 14 um about 12 11 12 okay. when I started high school um and yeah it wasn't it wasn't easy it was it was difficult trying to adapt and obviously as you when you're at that age not only are you going through you know you're growing up but you're also you want to be like your friends you don't want to miss out and I suppose in a way my diabetes just took a bit of a back seat yeah um, I feel teenage years for everyone are like that absolutely yeah absolutely I know I completely just let mine go from like 14 to age 17 probably it was just a, a bit of a mess yeah it's I mean the thing is with type 1 diabetes it's not that it's easy to ignore but it's in a way it is sometimes yeah Especially if well because I just got kind of used to being high all the time when I was younger so that kind of drained feeling just became the norm where I became where I just got used to how I was feeling and I look back now and I think to myself how on earth could I have been high all the time because yeah, when right? I get like high nowadays high. you go over nine and you're like oh my god I feel so I know, bad. I know exactly well, I suppose in a way, obviously this like level that. is different for everyone but you know absolutely I mean uh, just goes to show that your body does adapt it's exactly. like when people are continuously high and then they get down to like seven or eight and they feel hypo because the body's just so used to being in a higher range um um can you tell me about um how you actually got into um being a 
the diabetic health coach. <laughs> so when I was um, 18, I got diagnosed with uh, retinopathy and maculopathy. So that was kind of following my rebellious teenage years where I just didn't really look after myself. Very, how can I put it, rebellious. And it was just a shock tactic to me. And I was like, no, that's it. I'm not, I'm not going to let this ruin my future and my eyesight as well. So mm-hmm. that was when I kind of like took a big turn and I really focused in on my health being my priority. And I started to uh, train. I started to eat better. I started to take more care and put more focus into my diabetes control. So, you know, when you say you started focusing more on your health, did that start from you taking better control of your blood glucose or did it go from other habits and then expanded into diabetes um I mean I just kind of well if you think about like exercise and eating better what I found was that the that then had a positive impact on my glucose control at the same time and so you were basically doing it for better glucose control in a way yeah I mean but well both for me I just wanted to improve my diabetes but also improve my healthy habits yeah um so I so I began to like I say take better care of my diabetes I was when I was young when I was a teenager I never used to check my glucose levels at all um I was just really bad with it I'll probably do it like maybe once a day once every two days something like that Mm -hmm. um so anyway I started to build up those healthier habits take more control of my diabetes I started to do a lot of volunteering for Diabetes UK, JDRF, um, did a lot of kind of like peer support work with them where I'd then talk to others with type 1 diabetes like myself, hold, back then it was like Google Hangouts, so this was before Skype, mm-hmm. I used to hold like Google Hangouts with a group of diabetics um, and we always kind of chat and it was when I spoke to someone on the, one of those calls and they told me about the Freestyle Libre Sensor because I've actually been using it for over six years now. So I was like one of the first. Actually. Yeah, I was like one of the first to kind of trial it out. Um, and it was when I first, when I got hold of the Freestyle Libra Sensor, that was just a complete game changer for me and my um, glucose control. Um, I've got to confess to you, like it's been a complete changer for me, but I ditched it for Dexcom this December. Uh-huh. Oh, it, honestly, it was so inaccurate, like so inaccurate. Sometimes it was like four millimoles off. Yeah, I think like, the thing is, it's kind of, if you have like an inaccurate one, I bought a really good at replacing them as well. Yeah, but uh, for me, I travel a little bit. So when I'm traveling and it becomes inaccurate, then I'm stuck with it. Like I can't even do anything about it. Hmm. So that was a bit of an issue. Yeah, it's um no, I've not had any issues like that with mine, to be honest. I mean, the, I feel like the- some people just it's a sensor is just suitable for them and that's it. Everyone's yeah, exactly. Everyone's different. Yeah. Some people prefer pumps to insulin injection some people are the other way around I mean I've I've always used insulin pens I've never gone on a pump 
Um, can I ask you why have you always just stuck to pens is just because it works so like if it ain't broken don't change it yeah exactly yeah yeah that's my point too yeah works for me I know what I'm doing and I've got a little feel like I've got a little bit more control um I just don't like the thought of like the the pump potentially failing yeah scares me a little bit but again each to their own everyone's different and I know it's like the best thing that's happened to some people um and that's the thing like we're all individual aren't we like what works for one person might not work for another um so yeah so I I got hold of my free cell labor center that was an absolute life changer game changer for me and my diabetes control and then I I got into again like training in the gym a lot in terms of my own health I started to absolutely you know I used to love it it was like my time to switch off my time to focus on you know my it just helped with my mindset everything and then that made me think oh actually I want to be a personal trainer so I trained to be a personal trainer um, and an online coach and I had coaches myself at that time Mm -hmm. and I, I used to think to myself like how amazing would it be if my coach had type 1 diabetes like me and then that's when it was a bit of a light bulb moment I was like oh my god that's what I could do I can I can coach people who also have type 1 diabetes like me I guess you were one of the very first uh, people in the industry as well so right now there are quite a few type 1 coaches and whatever kind of field Um, but I feel like you were one of the first ones yeah I mean I mean I've been I've been kind of like going under the name for about four or five years now um, but there seems to be a big increase in coaches who also have type 1 diabetes which is brilliant you know that's I think it's it's brilliant that there's more and more of us um, so yeah it's it's uh, so I started off with it's funny actually because my very very first client all those years ago I've still got her today <laughs> she's been with me about four years that's awesome though that's really good that she stayed and she sees value in it it means like means that you do provide her with it absolutely I mean the way that a lot of people just think of coaches as oh just help me to lose body fat you know this and that but coach coaching is so much more than that and the the best way that I like to describe it to my clients is again like I mentioned a fairy godmother I'm in a fairy godmother to, to guide you in the right direction to where you want to be regarding your, what your goals are, but to also provide that ongoing support with type 1 diabetes because it's not easy. It's not easy yeah. at all. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I helped my clients to obviously drop body fat, increase the healthy habits because I'm also a board certified behavior analyst. So what that means is basically like a behavioral psychologist. Um, I look into, I delve deeper into kind of behavior change, why we behave the way we do and how we can modify our own behavior and habits for the better. Um, So I also work with, you know, people who want to build on the habit of checking the glucose levels more, want to build on the habit of, you know, um, just general health behaviors in general. So that's I do awesome. That. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that you can do for diabetes is build healthy habits around your management. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing is because I, I mean, when I was younger, I just like, I just, whenever I'm kind of like planning ahead, I always think, what can I provide to people that I would have 
really benefited from in my worst when I was at my worst yeah that's Um, very true I feel every coach is kind of like that like we've been through it but how can we make it faster to get to a better space than we did absolutely that's it go ahead sorry no I'm just saying just even um just having that person there to talk to and to turn to during the bad days and just to give you that little bit of a boost is you know it's priceless in terms of you know like when I was younger I didn't I didn't know anyone not anyone with type 1 diabetes and that had a huge effect on my uh own motivation a hundred percent absolutely the same thing um I just wanted to ask you um what's the most common issue that you come across when you like uh, take a client on what's the issue they want to solve um it depends because it's so what there's such a wide variety I mean I've got clients who come to me who are wanting to drop body fat and of course like we've kind of got this thing in our heads that insulin makes us fat and it I, really I'm very doesn't. curious where that even came from. I never heard of it before I joined the online community and people's like, insulin makes you fat. I'm like, really? I have never heard of it. No, it's, the thing is, it's, it's, we kind of like, just, just, we hear something and then it's kind of like word of mouth then and everyone's saying, oh, it puts, and that's not the case at all. Because the thing is, the only thing that can make us um, increase body fat is if we're eating in a calorie surplus. which can come from hypo treatments if you overdose your insulin that's yeah that that is that is a lot of where we kind of struggle is because obviously we we can eat our calorie intake for the day and then obviously we then forget about the hypo treatments and go on top of that i'm not saying obviously we don't have them because we need them that's the most important thing but it's just bearing that in mind in terms of calorie intake um and then, like, well, how much over can you go with your um, hypo treatments? If you're having, like, more than four a day, I guess you should be just starting to tweak your management because then that's a problem somewhere in your basal, I guess, or maybe your ratios. So it's kind of like a balance between adjusting your management and then accounting for the hypo treatments as well. That's it. It's just it's just kind of like keeping a track of obviously how because if you think like four jelly babies is hundred calories nearly. If you're having like three, that's quite a lot. Like I use gluco tabs and they're like fifteen calories each. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just looking at like the lower calories. The thing is as well, and it's completely normal. We we're hungrier. We're not, our bodies are naturally going to be a lot hungrier whenever we've got low glucose levels. Oh, totally. And um, like. You know, the phrase like eat the whole kitchen, that is way too common, just way too common. It's because like you can't treat a hypo with chocolate. It's not going to work for 40 minutes. Exactly, exactly. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's just kind of looking at, there's a lot of different factors to take into account when it comes to fat loss, but as as someone with type 1 diabetes, I think that's where we kind of struggle the most. It's obviously because of hypos and then it's a, it's a bit of a downward spiral if we're wanting to drop body fat and then we end up training glucose levels drop and then we're having to eat and then it's kind of that mindset around that because sometimes it's easy for us to just think oh what's the point yeah that's very true um so on the back of that Vanessa um because this podcast is about what type ones eat 
Can I ask you what you eat and how does your average diet look like? What do I eat? Well, as you'll probably know, like I do a lot of resistance training. Exactly. So I'm, I'm a, a, well, I like to say a heavy lifter. So I need a lot of food in my diet. <laughs> I have about four meals a day. Um, I have my carbia meals around training. So my carbia meals will be like porridge oats with protein powder and fruit. Um, I love my omelettes. I'm a huge omelet fan. I tend to have really low carb, high fat, high protein meal first thing in the morning just because I suffer from the dawn phenomenon. So yeah I the the dawn phenomenon but I eat my carbs before my training which is in the morning and I just have to counteract it with a massive pre-bolus that's it that's it it's uh it's it's all trial and error and I think that's the thing with diabetes isn't it it's just kind of it's just tweaking things every so often it's like with my um my porridge oats if I just do like one huge bolus before it um sometimes I can drop before I then go back up so I kind of I split my dose whenever I have slow release carbohydrates just to kind of try to counteract interesting because for me porridge just shoots me up quite a bit if I split yeah Um, yeah how how um when do you eat it after three bowls in uh like 35 40 minutes Oh, so that's quite a, quite a big, big, yeah, but I used to have to pre-bolus the same for my lunches. And now since it's summer, it's gone from like 40 minutes to 20 minutes for lunches. And I'm like, I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Isn't it? How our body is so annoying to wait like 40 minutes to eat. I know. I know. It's crazy. Isn't it? That's why sometimes I do prefer like my higher protein, lower carb meals sometimes because I don't wait that long yeah I have a, a low carb meal I can have like I don't I don't have to wait that long in between do you feel that you have like enough energy for to train on low carb and high fat I have done it before in the past um, but I must admit I feel better having carbohydrates you don't have Great. a lot though sound like by the sign by the signs of it I usually have, I'll have two meals that are high carb. So you're talking like 100 grams of carbs per meal. Oh, okay. That's very high carb. Yeah, like a decent amount of carbs. Um, And then, so like two meals will be carb heavy. Two meals will be low carb. That's pretty, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm quiet. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like whenever I'm, I tend to find that whenever I'm eating out, I tend to go low carb just because I find it easier I feel we also do it out of habit because like right now we know how to use our insulin and we're sort of comfortable with it. But from times where we weren't, I guess we naturally just tend to go low, lower carb. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whenever I'm at home, I'm in control of my carbohydrate content. Yeah. So the carbohydrates that I of like take in so I know exactly how much I need insulin wise but I do struggle a little bit more when I'm like in a restaurant and I've got a massive bowl of chips and you know even though I can guess that it's sometimes like I'd rather just have lower carb and then no I'm not gonna spike up too much I am the worst at eyeballing the carbs I just 
I can't do it. My mom's there with me and she's like, this is this much. And she always guesses it right. And I get it like either up or down all the time. I just never guess it right. There's a good, there's a good resource. Um, you know, the carbs and cows. Carbs and cows. Yep. Brilliant. It's a really good resource. I know it's a great one. And it's still like, it's still hard to tell exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is. But and I think but the thing is also we've got to allow ourselves a little bit of a break sometimes. And Oh, totally. It's like, it's like the 80-20 approach when it comes to dieting. You've got to allow that 20% of whatever you want. It's the same yeah, and with- it's like, it's totally fine to get it wrong and to go high or low. Like, it's absolutely fine. You just deal with it afterwards. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And I think it's, I think that's why it's important for people to see as well that, you know, even those who look like they've got really great control all the time don't. Because it, I mean, the thing is like, we're doing the role of it, an organ at the end of the day. And what's really cool to see is that a lot of people who don't have diabetes are now using CGMs. You know, Um, there's a huge debate about it actually, because there's a group of people with type one that are like, those people really don't need CGMs. There are people that have type one and can't afford CGMs. And they're like a little bit against all of it, but I don't see why. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. I think it's because I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs, but I know a lot. They're mainly athletes that want to see the glucose control during training. So the reason I, the reason I mentioned it is because you, when you actually look at the, because um, there's a page on Instagram, if you actually look at their readings, they do go up after food. Yeah. So it's they spike as well, and they don't have diabetes. So I think like we need to give ourselves, you know, and we always strive for that straight line. Yeah. It's also kind of looking at. You know, even those who don't have diabetes still, you know, go up after after eating. Yeah, so and I've I- actually seen this other group of people wearing the sensors, specifically the Freestyle Libre. It's people that aren't don't have diabetes and they go low carb specifically to reduce their blood glucose fluctuations, which I do see a little bit triggering to certain popular like sectors of the population say that again sorry so you you've been following yeah so there are a few people that um are uh not are not type ones um or diabetics but they just go low carb and wear the sensors specifically to help them reduce the blood glucose fluctuations which i do see it being a little bit triggering for a number of people there's always this like big debate in the diabetes world isn't there about low carb versus no not so low carb yeah um, but at the it's... end of the day as usual whatever works for you just go and do it as long as your health yeah. is fine your hormones are your hormones are in place energy levels are fine you're good to go absolutely yeah because i think that's that's one thing i didn't actually realize is until i started coaching was the importance of carbohydrates for hormones as well yeah which I think that you know a lot of us kind of and I was I was when I was younger I was quite what's the word I I was the same in terms of I'd just go low carb and then didn't realize like the impact that it would have hormonally um 
So it was only after I started to cook myself, I started to increase my carbohydrate intake. It's hard because it's carbs are really important when it comes to energy. Really, really, especially strength. That's one thing I've noticed is I'm, I am a lot stronger when I've had um, my carbohydrates. A lot of people are going keto yes, as well. Yeah. Vanessa, can I just interrupt you? Your mic is either swinging somewhere or there's a weird background noise. Is it still there? No. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be better. Sorry, okay. carry on. No, no, you're all right. I was saying like, again, like there's so many different kind of diets out there, isn't there? And it's just whatever works for you. That's the most important thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit about on your scar. Can you tell us what it is? And was that the a diabetes complication? No, no, I was, um, when I was 15, I had appendicitis, had my appendix okay. removed um, in when I was on holiday in Dubai. And then following on from the first operation, I ended up having an infection in my stomach which basically grew and just it just didn't get any better I probably looked about six months pregnant um, oh Lord. and when I got back to that was probably like a oh gosh I was seconds away from getting oh, what's it called sepsis because it was mm-hmm. so bad so they had to operate on me as soon as I got home to England um flew home the being in the plane probably didn't help because of the pressure Um, and then got home they had to operate on me it was about a four-hour surgery where they basically had to open me up so I got a huge like six inch inch scar um kind of like clean everything out as minging as that sounds um yeah it's science though that's it that's it and then they stitched me back up and then they left my original appendix scar as an open wound oh why something to do with the risk of infection if they closed it back up so Mm -hmm. what I had to do it's quite traumatic really when I think about it looking back um are you you talking about it yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah I just thought I'd check Um, yeah yeah and then I uh, had to get so I had this like open wound for about a month that had to kind of heal from the inside up that's why I've got that hole in my stomach yeah because I was gonna say that really doesn't look like an appendix um people think it's uh they think it's a few things Uh, I've had a lot of comments have I been shot have I been (laughs) it does look like it it really does (laughs) Uh, but yeah it's like no it was just a appendix scar um so yeah I mean that was that so uh, probably the bad control of my diabetes didn't help in terms of infection and yeah. so on but yeah that's uh that was just appendicitis gone wrong really but now I kind of advocate for you know showing off scars not being ashamed of scars I got offered surgery to stitch it up and I said no I'd rather just yeah so I don't see it I don't see it so um okay Vanessa I have one last big question for you um I know you're wearing the freestyle libre too and I also know that a lot of my listeners are super interested in how it works um and how it compares to libre one 
Can you touch a little bit about that, um, on that? Yeah, of course. So it's, um, so basically it's got optional alarms where it can alarm you if you go over or under a certain level and you can set what that level is. So for me, it alarms me if I go over eight millimole and it alarms me if I go below four millimole. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the option to kind of like switch them off as well. And yeah, so it's just great. So you kind of just get that little bit of a prompt if it's if it's going up or down. Do you, Whereas, have uh, you seen much difference in your management as you got the alarms? Huge. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'm aware, like if, if, for example, like it goes over eight, the biggest um the biggest way that I correct a, a glucose reading going high is I'll go for a quick walk. Same. <laughs> yeah, and it just brings me back, it just brings me back down. So I'm it's just like worried. if I inject insulin and I'm sat down, it takes an hour and a half to work. I just, yeah, you've got more. You've got more. Um, you got you got more risk of kind of like insulin stacking as well. So hmm. it's just it. I just find walking helps so much more, and it's kind of like a lot more instant. So work, because I'm so busy, I'm just constantly on the go all the time. I have, like, I might not be able to scan as much, whereas the alarms just give me that a little bit of a prompt. And I've got a, I've got an iWatch as well. So the notifications come through on my watch too. So that's cool. Oh, that's quite good. Yeah. And does it, it obviously does it at night. Have you woken up to night alarms? Um, <laughs> I tend to turn them off at night, to be honest really because, yeah I just just because I uh sometimes I'm I might go a little bit up but I just I just don't like being woken up that's so interesting because the worst thing for me is to wake up high and I basically pushed for the Dexcom specifically for the nighttime alarms like yeah. because during the day I was just constantly scanning I was like scanning 22 times a day plus um, which is quite a lot and then at night I just had to set alarms because I hated waking up high yeah I mean my my nighttime readings are pretty consistent to be honest so it's they're quite they're just the same so I kind of know if I'm gonna yeah. go up and down the only the only time I, I, I kind of it's it's been any different was if I've been poorly or something but yeah, yeah or maybe like went out for dinner and then it just yeah, sometimes gets yeah. a bit messy that's it that's it but no it's um it's been brilliant and yeah definitely recommend it awesome um any final thoughts or feelings that you want to share um i like to always say like to my clients and obviously like all my followers as well like with regards to type 1 diabetes I think that sometimes it's it's hard if we're having like a bad day and sometimes it it can just kind of throw us off for the rest of the week or it can just make everything else so much harder and it can just have a big effect on our mood and it's just reminding ourselves that you know as long as we're doing the best we can do then that's all that matters and it's all about learning to kind of like own our diabetes and not letting it own us yeah I guess it's just allowing yourself to go wrong and just being kind to yourself is absolutely I mean you you put something on Instagram about being high and I guarantee 
you're going to get a lot of messages of people who are saying the exact same thing we're not we're not on our own with it i mean we have there's always going to be good days and bad days it's just kind of part and parcel of type 1 diabetes really yeah Okay. <laughs> that's the mic again oh no sorry <laughs> <laughs> fine um i'll try to like minimize it somehow i really don't know how but we'll see how it turns out but anyway uh vanessa i want to thank you for um coming onto the podcast and taking the time to have this conversation with me oh thank you it's been a pleasure and yeah thank you very much for having me I am sure that everyone listening really managed to get a ton out of this episode. I think Vanessa shared quite a lot of uh, insights into living with diabetes and managing diabetes. If you want to find out more about Vanessa, I will link her Instagram and uh, her website below in the show notes. She is diabetic health coach on Instagram and I think her website is the same as well. I will also leave my own links in the show notes and I hope you check them out. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please uh, rate and review, um, subscribe to the podcast uh, on your podcast app. That really helps the episode get discovered by more people and hopefully more people can get good information from it. Um, I hope to see you next week and bye for now.